Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. You ready for spring break? Before spring break gets here, um, we get to celebrate together the, the Global Ag Summit. So we're going to ask all of you as a campus, um, in the next couple of days, you're going to see upwards of 700 different guests, actually from around the world, coming to Dort College um, to talk about all the ways that we can care for creation, reap its abundance, and be able to provide for God's people in new and creative ways. So we are excited and asking you to help be hospitable. If you see people around campus who just are having a trouble finding their way, um, please be a smiling face um, and a warm voice towards them and welcome them and point them in the right direction. Join us in that. Um, we're also going to have a, a celebration tonight kickoff. So at 7 p.m. on the floor in the campus center, um, we're going to gather for a time of worship. Um, this is for all of our guests coming in as well as for everybody within this community. Um, there will be two, we'll, we'll worship for about 20 minutes and there'll be a breakout. Um, anybody who's interested can um, come along with us and Sarah the Barge is going to lead a talk in SB 1606 um, talking about her experience and time in Togo and I have a hunch we'll hear a little bit about that this morning as well um, in her talk and the other group will break off and watch Poverty Inc. and then come back at 9 p.m. back into the campus center uh, for desserts and a social and see some of the kickoff for the Ag Summit. So you are invited to all of this and we would love to see as many of you there that can make it. Now in this time, uh, this morning, we get to welcome um, speaker as an ambassador on behalf of Compassion International, Sarah the Barge, will be speaking with us this morning. Sarah studied medicine at Yale and journalism at Columbia and figured where do I go from there in the academic ladder, so she asked if she could come speak at Dort College. Um, she's an international speaker and author of a memoir called *The Invisible Girls*, uh, which she will be available, which will be available for purchase in the campus center immediately following this, as well as an opportunity to meet Sarah and get her to sign a copy of her book. She'll also be talking about um, her work with Compassion, and there's a table there as well. So that'll be up for a couple hours with the volunteers. And if you see the volunteers working at the table, please say hi to them. They are Professor Aaron Olson's parents. I work at the table as ambassadors for Compassion today. Her morning talk this morning is, is titled, So You Want to Change the World? And this, morning, and this evening, she'll be sharing more about her experience in Togo working at a medical clinic there. So I'm asking if you will please join me in welcoming this morning, Sarah the Barge. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you all this morning. It's such an exciting week on campus. I wanted to talk with you this morning about the idea, So You Want to Change the World? When I finished undergrad and I was applying to grad school, I got an offer to come interview at Yale, and I was sitting across from the admissions panel, and the man asked me, Mr. Barge, why should we let you into Yale? And I'm thinking, I can say the safe, boring answer, which is like talking about my GPA and all the prereqs I've taken and all those kinds of things, or I can tell this guy what I'm really thinking, and I decide that that's the much more interesting option. And so I look at this man and I said, the reason why you should let me into Yale is because I'm going to change the world someday and I'm giving you the chance to say, we knew her when. <laughs> I don't know if it was in spite of that question or because of the answer that I gave, but I got in and I began my program there. And since that time, over the last 10 years, I've been wondering, what did I mean and what do we mean when we say that we want to change the world and what does it take to actually do that? So that's what I wanted to explore with you this morning. 
In 2015, I had the opportunity to spend my first extended period of time living in the developing world. I went to a country called Togo. It's a little country in West Africa. It has the distinction of being the least happy country in the world. I went to work in a new clinic that just opened there. I have a degree in medicine. I'm a physician assistant, a PA. I flew into the capital city to the country's only airport, which is in Lome, which is located on the coast. And I had to hang out there for two days waiting for my driver to come pick me up and drive me nine hours north to this rural village of Mongo where the new hospital was. I got to the guest center and I realized that the staff there spoke zero English and I only took two years of French in high school, but we had to rely on my French to try to communicate with each other. So the first five minutes that I was there, I managed to make a total idiot out of myself. They told me that dinner was ready and so I came to the table and I sat down and the cook had made this amazing spread of food and I hadn't eaten in 24 hours. And I sat down at the table and what I meant to say was, wow, I'm really hungry, which in French is j'ai femme. But what I said instead was j'ai une femme, which means I sat down, looked at all this food and exclaimed, wow, I have a wife. Okay, so that happened, something like that happened at least once an hour for two days. So by the time my driver came to pick me up, these people were super stoked that this crazy American woman was leaving. So my driver came to pick me up, and before we left on this long drive, we had breakfast together. And he asked me to tell me more about his sto my story. And so I told him that I had gotten this master's degree in medicine at Yale, and I was in journalism school for Columbia um, for journalism at Columbia when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I was only 27 years old. My entire world fell apart. I went through a horrible breakup. I had a good friend die of cancer. I almost died after chemo and radiation and then this whopping infection. As soon as I got out of the hospital, I decided I just needed to get out and start over. And so I got a one-way ticket from Connecticut to Portland, Oregon because it was as far away as I could get from Connecticut without dropping off into the ocean. And so I landed there with just a suitcase of clothes and a broken heart, and I decided I'm just going to start over. Well, it's shortly after I got there that I'm riding the train in Portland, and I see this Somali woman get on the train with her two little girls who are ages three and four. The mom and the four-year-old girl find seats, but there's no seat for the three-year-old little girl, and she's super tired, and she's falling asleep while she's standing up. And I thought, somebody needs to hold that little girl because she's so sleepy. And as soon as that thought went through my head, this little girl opened her eyes. She looked right at me, and so I held my arms out like this, and she climbed into my lap, and she fell asleep. At this point, I'm thinking, I need to make eye contact and start talking to this mom so that she doesn't think that some creepy woman just tried to snatch her kid. So I do. I look at the mom, and I asked her to tell me more about their story. She told me in very broken English that she and her little girls came over as refugees from Somalia. They came over with their dad, who had been abusive, and then left them right after they got here. Now the mom was all by herself in a foreign country, didn't speak the language, didn't know a soul. And as she's telling me more of their story, she starts to cry. And she says, it's too much. It's too much. And so I got their address. 
and they went to check on them a couple days later. And they found that they were living in this totally empty apartment. The only thing in the entire apartment was two mattresses in the bedroom. And I found out they would put these mattresses side by side on the floor at night. And then the mom would huddle together with her five little girls because they just had one blanket for six people. The mom showed me their closets, which were empty. Their bathroom was empty. They had no toiletries, no towels. The kitchen cupboards were totally empty. And then we get to the dining room, and I see that these five little girls are sitting in a circle around a cracked ceramic bowl, and they're eating chunks of moldy bread dipped in ketchup. And the mom points to it, and she says, dinner. And I find out that she's run out of food, and then she ran out of money. And so this mom has been dumpster diving behind the grocery store at night to find food for her little girls, and this was all she could find in the trash for them the night before. So I quickly went and I got them bags of groceries, and then I went back a couple days after that and took them all some clothes. And then my church got involved, and we did this big, like, extreme home makeover on their apartment, and we got them everything that they needed to not only survive, but to begin to thrive in their new life here in America. I started blogging about them because this was the best story that I'd come across, and these little girls were hysterical. For instance, when I showed the mom how to turn on the heat in their apartment, these little girls ran around screaming that I'd set their house on fire. And then they watched the movie Bambi, and they, they were convinced that all of the animals in America can talk. And then I showed them Mary Poppins, and they loved the scene where Mary Poppins helps the children tidy up the nursery by snapping their fingers. So I went over to their apartment a couple days later, and I find that these little girls are snapping their fingers in all the closets and the drawers. And the oldest girl comes up to me, and she looks really puzzled, and she says, does this only work for white people? So there are uh, hundreds of stories like that, and I kept blogging about them for 18 months. By that point, this family was as dear to me as, as my own kids would have been. And I realized that as I was helping them live life in America, in a way, they were helping me because they loved on me at a time in my life when I was really broken. And this, these little girls basically brought me back to life. And I started asking the question, not what do you get for the girl who has everything, but what do you get for the girl who has nothing? My answer to that was, you get these girls an education. You all are here in college because you know the opportunities that an education will afford for you, even more so these little Somali girls. It will empower them to become leaders in their own community, and it also give these little girls a choice and a chance. So I wanted to send them to college, but I couldn't afford to write the check to send all these little girls to school. And I thought, well, I can't sell a blog, but I could sell a book. And so I wrote this book called The Invisible Girls, and it weaves my story together with theirs. And all of the proceeds from the book are going into a college fund for these five little Somali sisters. We do have it for sale. Please come get a copy. You can read tons more great stories, and also you can support the girls' college fund. So this is the story that I told my driver that morning in Togo when he asked me more about my story. 
And when I finished telling him about all of this, my driver, this very kind, wise Togolese man, nodded. And he said, yeah, he said, love looks around. I said, it does, doesn't it? Love looks around and sees the world through the eyes of God. Love looks around and sees the world through eyes of compassion. Love looks around and sees marginalized people that often get overlooked. Love looks around. And with that thought still going through my mind, we got in the back of this old land cruiser and we made the nine-hour drive north to this hospital on this unpaved, desolate road. We finally got to the Hospital of Hope and I started working there. Tonight, I'm going to tell you a lot more about what it was like to work at a hospital in the developing world, so please come to that talk. We'll also have time for discussion and Q&A, so I would love to tell you more. This morning, I'm just going to tell you one story from this hospital that I will never forget. I was working one afternoon, and this father carried in his two-year-old little girl who was having a seizure, and we quickly diagnosed her with cerebral malaria. And malaria is a parasite that gets transmitted by a mosquito bite. And in children under five, it often travels to their brain and gives them seizures. It can give them a coma and even um, lead to their death. So this little girl has cerebral malaria. Every time she seizes, she stops breathing. The hospital can't afford a ventilator. And so I stood there all day bagging this girl, breathing for her, while her father stood behind me watching over my shoulder. Throughout the afternoon and then into the evening, she got worse and worse and worse, but I couldn't stop trying to save this little girl because I couldn't imagine the pain her father would feel if he lost his baby. So I kept going all through the night until finally at 6 o'clock in the morning when the sun's starting to come up. I checked her pupils and I realized that her pupils were blown, which meant that this little girl was brain dead and she was gone. And I simply turned and I looked at her father and I shook my head. And he just began to sob. I took out her IV and I disconnected all of the patches and I washed her body and I wrapped her in cloth and then I handed the father the body of this little girl that I couldn't save and I said, Je suis désolé, which means I'm so sorry. And the father was incredibly gracious, and he just nodded to me, and he said, thank you. He said, there was love in your eyes. You looked at my little girl with love. And as I watched him walk away to bury this little girl, I thought, what does love mean, and is love enough? I thought that was the lowest moment of my time in Togo. And then I got malaria and I got super sick and I was a patient in the hospital for a while. And then as soon as I got out of the hospital, the town ran out of water. I'll talk about that more tonight, but it is very unsettling when you turn on the spigot, when you're thirsty and hot and tired and it's 120 degrees and no water comes out. And at that point, I said, God, I'm done. I'm done, I'm tired, I'm hot, I'm sick, I'm thirsty, I'm sad, I am overwhelmed, I'm done. There's nothing that could make me stay. That afternoon, there was a torrential rainstorm 
And I ended up just laying in my room because there was nothing else to do. And I listened to this podcast that I downloaded about the story of Sisyphus. Okay, so this is a Greek myth. And in the myth, Sisyphus makes the gods really angry. And so they punish him by making him carry this heavy rock all the way up the hill. And just before he gets to the top of the hill, the rock will roll back down. And he has to do this over and over and over again. I fell in love with the story because it was such a great metaphor for what the hospital was to me. No matter how hard I worked, no matter how hard I tried, every single shift, I was back at the beginning going uphill again with this impossible rock to carry. I I was so fascinated by the story that I started reading more about it. And I found that the famous authors Franz Kafka and Albert Camus both wrote essays about it. And in the essays, they both conclude that Sisyphus is the hero of the story, that he's the victor of the story, not the victim, and that we must even think of Sisyphus as happy. I thought, what in the world? How could he be happy? And so I kept reading more and more about it until I found this poet named Stephen Mitchell who wrote a poem about Sisyphus, and he said, we must think of Sisyphus as happy for one single reason, and it's this. Because Sisyphus fell in love with the rock. Sisyphus fell in love with that rock. So it was nothing for him to put it on his back, carry it up that hill. I started thinking about Jesus as the ultimate Sisyphus. Jesus fell in love with the world. He put the world on his back. He carried us all the way up to the top of Calvary and he loved us so much he laid down and he gave his life for us. And that's the kind of person we're called to be. It reminded me of 1 Corinthians 13 which is called the chapter of love and in the beginning it starts by asking if you make all these sacrifices, if you give all your money away, if you give your life away, what should motivate you to do that? And the answer comes in the last chapter, the last verse of that chapter. It says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I realized this is what led Jesus to the cross. And when we are called to love the world, this is what makes us make hard personal sacrifices to make that happen. And this is ultimately what made me stay at that hospital in Togo is because instead of asking God, get me out of here, or God, send someone else to do the job, I started praying, God, help me fall in love with this rock and help me carry it higher. My friends, I'm here this morning to invite you to become that kind of person to become a person of love. Because this ultimately, I think, is what we mean when we say that we want to change the world, is that we fall in love and have our hearts broken for this beautiful but broken world that we live in. And it's not just the love that's kind of a sappy, fun, easy emotion, but it's the love that led Jesus to the cross. It's the love that took Sisyphus up the hill. It's the love that falls in love with the world and does the hard work in the here and now to carry it higher. My invitation to you this morning is to become that kind of person 
No matter what you're called to do, no matter what your vocation ends up being, no matter where you are in the world, that you will become that kind of person that does the hard work of love and that begins to change the world one step, one conversation, one well, one meal, one child, one patient at a time. And if each of us in this room, if each of us in the world commits to being that kind of person, that's how we change the world. And then this morning, I have a specific opportunity with compassion to invite you to be a part of, to practice that kind of practical, sacrificial love. First of all, let me tell you something that's going to be a little bit hard to swallow. In 2015, in the developing world, six million children under the age of five died, mostly from preventable causes, because they didn't have access to clean water, to food, to shelter, or to medicine. That means last year, we lost 16,000 kids a day from preventable causes. In 2015, we lost more children in the developing world than we lost Jews in the Holocaust. But the good news is that there's something we can do in 2016 to bring that number down. I have the chance of working with Compassion International, whose mission statement is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. So for $38 a month, you sponsor a child in the developing world. That child gets to go to a center that Compassion built that offers children food and water and help with their schoolwork and adults that mentor them and invest in them emotionally and spiritually. It's incredible the work that they do because it empowers these children to grow up to be men and women of integrity who lift up their own countries up and out of poverty. The other thing is it literally saves these kids' lives because they get what they need to survive childhood. I'm going to show you a quick video of what compassion looks like, what they do on the ground, and then I'll be back in just a minute and we'll talk a little bit more about this opportunity. We've been here in Togo, West Africa at a compassion site, and I'm really excited that we get to be here today and see what compassion does, see what the work actually looks like on the ground. So I had the opportunity to visit Felix, my sponsored child, in his home. His family was kind enough to invite me here and I got to see what life is really like for them. Uh, they live in a small home and they don't have running water or electricity. They have to go to a well, especially after seeing the conditions that these kids live in. I am so thankful that Compassion is here, that Compassion provides a safe place where kids can go. They can have clean drinking water, they have nutritious food to eat, they have people who help them with their studies and people who love on them in the name of Jesus.
honored to sponsor a child here in Togo and to spend some time with him and his family. And I hope that people will be inspired to do the same thing, to sponsor a child, to change one child's life and realize that if we all do this, if we all pitch in and we all care for these kids, if we all invest in these children in the name of Jesus, we can watch God literally change the world through these little lives. children are beautiful and each of them that is at that center in Togo is there because they had a sponsor. So my invitation to you Dork College this morning is this. I brought with me packets of children who are on the wait list to get into centers like this in the developing world. My challenge to you is that by the end of this afternoon that all those packets are gone because each of you has gone up to that table looked at one child and said, I love you, I believe in you, let's get you out of here. It may cost you something, so it may cost you giving up your favorite coffee drink, it may cost you staying in on the weekend instead of going out. You may have to get creative if you don't have that much money a month to get four friends together and say, let's do this together. Let's pitch in together so that some child in Bangladesh has a chance to grow up and raise his or her country up out of poverty. It's really an incredible opportunity. So I would invite you today, please stop by the compassion table. Please stop. I'm going to be right there next to it if you want to get a signed copy of the Invisible Girls book. And then tonight, please come and participate in the worship in either in screening the, the movie Poverty Inc. or in coming to my talk about what it's like in the developing world. And please, as you go out of here, let God spark your heart and stir your imagination for what it can look like for you to be a person of love, a person who falls in love with the world and the people around you and does the hard work to carry the world higher. My friends, let me pray for us this morning and then you'll be dismissed. Precious Jesus, we thank you so much that you fell in love with us. That you came down as God incarnate, that you put us on your back, that you carried us up. Jesus, I pray this morning that each of us would follow in your steps, that each of us would experience the love that you have for us and then that we would express that love to the world around us. I pray for each student in this room. I pray that you would set their heart on fire for you and I pray that Dort College would become an amazing place with students who are on fire with the love of Jesus, who have fallen in love with the world and are doing amazing, creative, unique, important things to carry this world higher. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.